Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello. This isn't perfect. This is annoying. It's annoying. You're annoying. You must have It's annoying. There's so much stress in your life. You must, you, you're losing years by the day. You know what I mean? Like the amount of stress that you build up and, 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 exp, and expunge out of your mind. I can't even imagine living in your stressful body. Jeez. That's, I know, because I'm productive. It's crazy. I get shit done. And you're fucking in a log cabin with shitty internet like it's 1987. And yeah, happy as a fucking happy clam. as a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel for you, man. I worry about your kids. I want you to live long for your children. You know, stop the stress. Start meditating. Buy a fucking log cabin. Get some bad internet. See how your life changes. <laughs> Good. It'll change. I'll tell you the first change. We won't be doing a podcast. That'll be the first thing I take off my list. Well, how is your I'm, how is your stupid baseball game anyway? It was great. I got to go downtown in St. Louis. I got to drive in my own car. I got to sit in a studio. I got to watch six different monitors and do a game as if I was there. Smoltz was in Atlanta. Same drill. It was even set up better because Oliver, you've asked me this before, and so I'll tell you. I had a view as if I had a camera view on a monitor that gave me what I see when I sit in the booth. So I would Mm -hmm. watch the pitch come in on one TV and then my eyes would go up and I'd see where the ball would go after contact was made. And so I, I had the best of all worlds and it was great. It was, it was a fun, great game. And Man, I could do this the rest of my life if I didn't have. Well, to try. I, I was just about to. I was just about to ask you that question. Like, would you like it to be this way forever? I mean, or because you've been doing it so long, do you still want to go to the ballpark? You know, I mean, you've been to so many ballparks so many times. If they're like Joe, you know what? This is forever. This is the way we're going to do things. How would you feel about that? I would love it. I would love would. it. I to answer your question, I've been going to ballparks since I was two. I'm yeah, a fortunate son. I got a chance to go and get inside the park, get inside the clubhouse, get run around and shag fly balls, bat boy, sit in the broadcast booth. I've done that since I was two. So I've done it for basically mm-hmm. fifty years. And mm-hmm. if they said, you know, this is the only way we're gonna be able to do this going forward, I would I'm good. I mean, I, I don't feel like it's being lazy. I feel like I can do the same amount of research and, and get the same amount of information by getting on calls, doing Zoom calls with mm-hmm. the managers, which we did before the game, and do the game 
and and do it as if I'm sitting in the booth, but not have to go climb on planes. And, uh, you know, at least for Kinda this great. year, yeah. at least for this year, I, planes, eliminating planes in hotel rooms and car services and rides and cabs and everything else. I, yeah, I'm all for it. I especially in football when I'm doing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. I, I think if there's ever a chance where I'm heightening my chance to get uh, infected with the virus and be shut yeah. down uh, by doing it that way. I, and I don't yeah. know what the what the plus is. I, you know, just to sit in an empty stadium. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm saying if there's not even if, 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 if we're back to baseball, back to sports full speed, are you would you miss that? You know, would you miss the energy? Yeah, I, I would miss that. I love that. I love climbing up to the booth, you know, going to Wrigley like the game was in Wrigley last night, going yeah. up the ramps, being around the people, feeling it, hearing it, smelling it, all that stuff. When you're in a studio, yeah, it's it's a different feel and you lose the ability for your eyes to go where you want them to go and see different things and it can spark a conversation. You're mm. beholden to what the camera is showing you. But right, that's I, I think the the plus minus is is pretty pretty close to even. Um, Let me ask you a question, actually. I, th- I thought about this the other day. Five best sportscasters. You can include yourself. Do you think you could name from one no, to five? I would never what, include myself. No, you, I'm saying you could. But from from one, number one in your eyes to number five, who are the top five? Number one is, yeah. in, at least in my lifetime. I mean, I'm not, yes. I can't go back to... Mel no, Allen no, no. and Red Barber yeah. and and those guys. I mean, and, and your it's different, lifetime. you know. If we're talking about if we're talking about different sports, I think if I was going to watch an event sitting on my couch, the one person I would want to do it, no matter the sport, and would do a good job where I would learn something, and they would be accurate and give great information, would be Al Michaels still, and mm-hmm. and he's in his mid seventies. I I think his voice just screams big event, and if I hear that voice, I want to watch the game. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's got their strong suit. Like to me, Jim Nance and his sense of history and him doing golf, it's just it feels right. Al doing mm-hmm. football. It feels right. Tariko doing all different stuff. It feels good. And he works his ass off and he's really prepared and uh, he's really smart. He's whip smart. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I admire that. I know he's smarter than I am. He's, he's so, and he's a friend. So uh, there's that. And then there's Vin Scully. I think there's, he's in his own category um, because his voice just is baseball uh, for people of a certain age. And uh, he did it unlike anybody else. He was by himself. I mean, if I was by myself, my broadcast would be a hell of a lot different. I try to tee up the guy with me. If I was by myself, you know, you can go into different stories. You you don't, yeah. when you have somebody else, I'm always, you know me well enough to know that I'm, I'm hyper aware that I want to get this person involved and I will sit on stuff that I have or areas I want to go to just to get them involved. And that Vin yeah. never really had to worry about that except when he was doing nationally televised games with Garagiola or whoever back in the day. But I, everybody's got their strong suit. Um, but those would be the guys that I would say yeah. uh, off the top of my head. One guy is a tough, you know, number one, it, it would be like who, depending on what they're doing. Yeah, you gave a good rounded, you know, you rounded out the field pretty good there. But you don't include yeah, yourself. Yeah, and I think it's amazing. 
I, I honestly would not. I, I think I do okay. it in a way that I try to minimize my role. Um, yeah, you're a giver. I, and I don't, I'm not saying of that reason, but I, I do try to make sure that the audience at home hears the crowd and the audience at home knows that the guy with the real information is the one that I'm doing it with, not me. I, I try to tee them up, but, um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm a minimalist, I think. And it's not out of laziness. It's not, a, it's cause I don't know what to say or don't have stuff to say. Well, on my list, I'm, I'm one of the top, I've, I consider myself one of the top five greatest actors of all time. You, Daniel Day-Lewis. Me, Daniel Day-Lewis, Ernest Borgnine. And my mom probably, saved his life. Can I have I ever told you that story? No. My mom was at a banquet. My dad was emceeing. Ernest Borgnine was there with his wife, Tova. <laughs> Ernest yeah. Borgnine, star of one of my all-time favorite movies, The Poseidon Adventure, among many <laughs> other right. things. He started to choke on a chicken piece of chicken, and nobody at the chicken. table was noticing it. It's always chicken. Chicken should be banned for that reason alone. Yeah, everyone My chokes mom on is Choke talking to him or sees him choking, gets up in the middle of the meal, runs around to the other side of the table, lifts Ernest Borgnine <laughs> off his chair, <laughs> gives him the Heimlich, and a chicken bone comes flying out of his mouth. This is in the 80s. And I remember, wow. and she literally, I'm not going to say she saved his life, but I don't know. Maybe she saved his life. And for the rest of, you know, the that decade of the 80s, my mom got free Tova Borgnine skincare system <laughs> products. So I guess they exchanged addresses at the end of the night. It's like, hey, thanks for saving my life, lady. And uh, and my mom got Tova Borgnine products because you of it. should, you know, you should get a T-shirt that says my mom saved Ernest Borgnine's life. <laughs> 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 That'd be an amazing uh, t-shirt for you to wear. <laughs> my birthday is April 25th. Okay. You want Nikes. I want a t-shirt yeah. that says my mom saved Ernest Borgnine's life. <laughs> I might just get it for you without any sort of a, a an event or a birthday or Christmas. I think I'm just going to make you a t-shirt. <laughs> okay. So two things I wanted to talk about today. I came home and my wife was zonked out because she's with the kids while I was working mm-hmm. all day and did the game last yeah. night. And then I get a, a letter, like a note uh, okay. on my sink in the bathroom. <laughs> read it. About read how it. proud. No, I'm so proud of you. No matter where, how, or what the circumstances, there's no one better than you. So she would have answered your previous question differently. Yeah. It is truly a gift that keeps on giving. The sports world needs it uh, now more than ever. I love you so much. I cheer for you and uh, forever. Will. Oh, that's amazing. So are you, I was going to ask you, are you a, are you a note lever, like a, a, a surprise note lever or not? No, I'm not. I'm not, but I, I'm a letter writer. Um, I don't, Aaron and I don't do a lot of gifts, you know, on Christmas and birthdays or Valentine's day, you know, I write her love letters. So I have written many, many letters to her over the years, I, at least two a year, probably at some, you know, but how I long I average that. Probably, you know, average three to five pages front and back, handwritten. You know, I get into it. Has your handwriting deep. declined? It's terrible. It's so it's horrible. So I I print first of all. I don't. I, I you know I don't. Um, I don't do cursive. I, I just yeah. you know I don't. 
and it changes mid sentence. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, totally. like, if somebody did like a psychological, I could kill people and get away with it. Like, as opposed to, uh, the the jinx or whatever yeah. that guy's name was that freak on yeah, HBO yeah, yeah. was his name Robert Durst? Ro- Robert Durst, Durst or whatever yeah yeah if they did like a handwriting analysis they'd be like there's no fucking way this is the guy because I my oh, yeah. my handwriting changes every time no, I put it's a great point it's a great point you're making and if you're looking at the letters that I write her about ha- halfway through the first page first half is pretty it's pretty good because I'm I'm really making a, a conscious effort to to write nice. And then my brain takes over, and from that point on, it yeah. just devolves. Yeah, because it can't keep up. No, my my writing can't keep up with what I'm thinking. No. Hello, hello, What's up, Bill. Where are you, Bill? Where in the world are you in L.A.? L.A., where you got everything from progressive lunatics to uh, neo-Nazis 10 miles away. <laughs> it's yeah, true. it's exciting. It's people a potpourri. Don't understand. People think L.A. is a bunch of, you know, Hollywood people being like, hey, man, when are walruses getting their own bathrooms? It's just like literally you have those people <laughs> and, and 20 miles away. You can be down at a beach going to a in, in, talking to neo-Nazis. So, <laughs> just a potpourri of shit. That's <laughs> so yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, man. well, that's at least. But, but most of the people are somewhere in the middle saying both of those people are nuts. Right. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, you know, so, the news. so who's normal? People do not make the news. Who's rational anymore, though? You know, I mean, who is normal these days? What is normal? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I had a buddy of mine move to Australia, and there's people down there that don't want to wear the mask either, and they also think it's a big phony thing. So this whole mm-hmm. this whole thing, they're like, you know, what's wrong with America? It's, it's there's a lot of people... Uh, yeah, um, I just talked to one guy who said people in Australia are doing it. So now I'm going to go the other way and say basically every country is doing what we're doing. <laughs> if Australia is doing it, then every country everybody's is doing, doing it. it. That's how yeah. it works. <laughs> uh, but you're right. I feel like I, I honestly believe that, that most people are in the middle, even politically. But they get no attention. They get no representation in candidates. It's just everybody yeah, on the extreme. They're not. If you are rational on social media, you will not get those that Instagram money. No mm-hmm. chance. Yes. No if chance. If you're like a model and I'm you have like, you got to have an irrational enhancements to your body before you can sell purses. <laughs> if you look like me, you have to have an irrational uh, political view. I got to be all the way over here or all the way over there. And then, uh, you know, Bill, you've been called polarizing. And all of a sudden you start making all this money. Basically, the more of an idiot and less understanding person that you can be, that is the formula. I want to say because most people watch you because it's entertaining, because it's just to see somebody like that. But to to uh, to some people, they kind of take it at face value. So I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I just sold a, um, you know, for a few for a few shekels, I sold a French's mustard beer about a week ago. Okay. You know, so I, I don't know where I, I stand on the French's rational, irrational. Beer. Is, yes. Is that homemade? No, this is French's has done a mustard beer Ugh. and they were going to pay me to put it on my Instagram. And of course I said, yes. So I don't know where I stand as far as my. You need lip injections. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe I get better <laughs> no, accounts. You, you're, no, your, your sweet spot is you're the every man that tells it like it is. Right. 
Okay. If you're a white dude who looks like you, then you have to be that guy who tells it like it is, which <laughs> subtext means it's going to be kind of racist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of racist and I love this beer. I like this guy. This guy speaks to me. Right. <laughs> totally. But, but you wouldn't be successful, Bill, if your comedy, I, I feel like your comedy, your opinions hit with the majority of the people. Everybody that we're talking about that's not represented in the the fringes of social media that are, by the way, the ones that are going about canceling everybody because they 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 want to just take everything else down. You wouldn't be successful. I that's why. Do you, that's, guys, do you guys follow Kyle Dunnigan on Instagram? He did, he did a great sketch about you know he had a new like reality show about like uh, going back in time and canceling people, and he was the canceler. <laughs> That's of he ends up getting canceled and all that. You got to uh, you got to check him out. Yeah. Sorry. Well, uh, no, no, but 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 you, we, you know, in doing this podcast and starting this podcast, Joe is deathly afraid of being canceled. So we have to watch what we we say and even do on here. I'm not really that much afraid of it, I guess, because I don't have a lot to cancel. Well, all it would take I mean, is if corporations just back their talent and really looked at whether it was ridiculous or if there was something there, then you. You know, you could, uh, you know, it wouldn't be as crazy. But, you know, if you're just going to just sit there and be like, my favorite thing is when they go back like seven years and they go, can you believe this happened? And it's like, wait, how old are you? You're 35. You were 28 when this happened. Mm -hmm. It took you seven years to get offended by this. (laughs) It's like, obviously, when this happened, it didn't even it didn't even register on anybody's radar. And things have changed a lot in seven years. And then. They go back, and if you're in the public eye, it's like, why aren't you where we're at now? But there's no video evidence of of the vetters, like mm-hmm. where they were at. I mean, I don't. I said on another podcast, no one can survive a vetting, especially yeah. if you're going to tell me what my my what I was really thinking beyond what I like. You know what I was thinking more than I do. So I don't know. I don't care. I really don't. So. Well, do? congratulations, dude. You're 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 a dad again. What you had your baby in June or something? Excuse me. My wife did. That's a little <laughs> hostile. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. Uh yeah. My wife gave me a beautiful baby boy in June. Uh, and yeah, so I got a girl and a boy. And uh it's been awesome, other than the fact I am making no money and I'm slowly mm-hmm. going broke. I mean, I've been frugal. Yeah with yeah. my money, but I did not plan on, you know, not working for God knows how long, you know? Yeah. No, I know. I know. Joe, Joe's Joe gets to, Joe gets to keep making dollars. You know, he can do everything remotely. Now he just did a game, you know, he just did a, a game from, from St. Louis in a studio when John Smoltz is in Atlanta. And well, here's you know, the thing, we, you know, it's going to be, we were funny. just talking we were just talking about it though. He's like this, I'd love to do it this way. If this, that's what I was just going to say. Way. Yeah. I was just going to say what happens when that comes back and he has to drag his ass to the airport again. Yeah. Um, but you never know. Some of these corporations might think like, well, why are we fo- flying this broadcast team all around? We could save money because I'm yeah. sure Joe's got to fly private, right? I mean, he's a special guy. He used to he used to have his little private plane. I'm not sure where he's at now with all that. <laughs> well, I think that after the bankers nuked the economy in 2008, I like how yeah. they didn't get canceled. <laughs> oh, that's a great that's a great point. They didn't get canceled. Oil companies dictating our foreign policy. None of them seem to get canceled. But that yeah. same guy who works at an uh, 
an oil company, if he was at a food court at a mall and he said, hey, nice legs, that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Is this the kind of person we want dictating our foreign policy? <laughs> yeah, totally. The head of BP who just spilled a billion gallons of oil into the Gulf. Yeah, he's fine. What's it been like? Because you and I are basically the same age. I've got older daughters, but I'm back in the game with two-year-old twin boys. And it is a, it's the best, but it is an ass kicking at this, at this age when friends of mine, contemporaries of mine are, are so past all this and I'm, you know, still changing diapers and, and doing all this stuff. What's that been like for you? Well, I didn't have your first experience, so I had nothing to compare it to. So I was at the point of like, wow, is this never going to happen? I mean, I thought I was just going to stay in my hometown marry a local girl and, and have a big family. That's what I thought. And, um, you know, like a lot of things in life, how you think your life's going to go, it goes in a completely different direction. So um, I'm just, you know, I, I just focus on the advantage. The tremendous advantage of being an old dad is you, you have like another 25, for me, like 25 years of life experience. Um, I'm a much calmer, relaxed, understanding person than I was when I was in my 20s. I think that I'm going to be a better dad. It sucks that I'm going to die way sooner. I mean, that just is the math. But um, yeah, the math sucks. You can't do math. Yeah, they'll have way. Well, here's the other thing. You know, I was thinking about it the other day as far as like, you know, wanting to live to 100. I think if I get to 100, you know, my kids will be old enough where, you know, they'll be. 50 years old or whatever, 40s, 50s. And it's like, then that'll be okay because they'll be married, they'll have their own lives and that type of thing. But I was thinking the sadness of living that long, mm-hmm. you know, because I just lost a buddy the other day and, you know, we're all devastated. And, but his funeral is going to be crazy. It's going to be amazing. All of us pouring our hearts out and doing all of this stuff. But if you live to be 100, all your friends are dead. And then you got all yeah. these young people that didn't know you in the prime of your life. So then they're just up there, hey, you know, he, he just loves sitting on that porch. And you're just laying in the cabin like, I did more than that. I was a wild man. You know, you got to get, there's got to be the sweet spot of where you die, where you live the full life and you're also going to get like, uh, uh, you're going to get a good eulogy. <laughs> You'll have enough friends left to send you off well. You know, That's you came funny. on this this podcast talking about the. I, I was lucky enough because of of other people involved in the project to do voices on F is for Family. I, you've done so many things, Bill, uh, but I would imagine that, in its own way, has got to be one of your biggest accomplishments and 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 something that gives you the most amount of pride to kind of throw your childhood and your life out there in animated form. But it is, it is beautiful it is dark it is you know eye-opening uh what's that process been like are you are you surprised it's it's caught on the way it it caught on yeah yeah i guess i am because i have to be honest with you like nothing i ever do seems to catch on unless you give me 20 years to do it i've just never been i just it just everything i've 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 seemed to do in this business they're like "Eh, i don't know about that idea And, and i just i never seem to have the thing so the fact that Netflix gave me the opportunity and finally I have something that people seem to be enjoying. 
But, you know, as much as I have my childhood in there, you know, I couldn't do the show without Mike Price. He's so Mike smart. Price. God, he he is so invested. Yeah. When I do voiceover stuff with him, and I, does anybody laugh better than Mike Price? Yeah. No, it's the greatest. I mean, you he's, feel, he's just oh. like, he's one of those guys. He's in the, uh, he's in the, uh, the HOV lane for heaven. That guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's just like the best dude, but like, you know, it's his childhood too. And it's really funny because we all from like day one had these little things from our childhood that we wanted to get in there. And, um, he was pitching this, this thing that he saw his dad do that we finally got in last season. His dad, uh, was watching TV late night and little Mike Price snuck in to watch a little TV. And his dad was sitting there, and I guess, you know, he didn't know that he was there. And there was a cigar commercial. He actually found it on YouTube where it was, uh, whatever this guy's smoking. He's being like really smug as he's smoking it going, oh yeah, we're going to get you. Oh yeah, we're going to get you. Saying it tastes so good, you're not going to be able to resist it. So he's going, oh yeah, we're going to get you. <laughs> we're going to get you. And his dad was sitting there by himself. And he just goes, you're not going to get me. Like, <laughs> finger... <laughs> Like his childhood, <laughs> it, it like so transcended the commercial, and it had such a weight to it that it wasn't even about cigars. It was it just was stating like I'm not where weak. he came from as a guy, how you had to dig your heels in. Like that you think you scored on me, it ain't happening, funny. buddy. That's and fucking funny. So yeah, so we had to we had to. Uh, you know, it was in like a script every year. We'd have it. And then, you know, one of the things you learn in the writer's room is you have to sacrifice your jokes for the betterment of the overall story. And uh, it was getting to the point after three seasons, I was feeling bad. It was becoming like, who was that woman all those years? She always got nominated for an Emmy and never won. Susan uh, Lucci. Uh, Susan Lucci. Susan Lucci. Yeah, it was this, the, the joke was the Susan Lucci joke <laughs> of F is for family. And then finally, last season, we finally got it in for season four. So. And how how yeah. how accurate is your portrayal of your dad in in that show? To be honest, he's more me than him. He's mm -hmm. an amalgam of all of our dads, but like I would never do something. I love my dad. I mean, he's a he's the greatest. So I don't. Um, it's not coming from a malicious place. It's more coming from finding the funny in the uh, the chaos of a big family, having kids when you're young, maybe before you're even ready, and also. Was your dad young when he had when he had, we had kids? He was a pretty young man. Yeah, he was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They they were. I mean, compared to nowadays, when yeah. people got married, I mean, there was like most people. He was actually considered old then. Most people got married while they were still in college. Um. So he was like I think twenty three when he got married. But like, it was also so like little um little help for the so it's just such little information existed back when I mean, self-help books i think there was like one like how yeah. to make friends and influence people or something like that there was like one or two of them there was no oprah's and dr phil's like every now everybody's like a pop psychologist and they can kind of like you can almost break yourself down a little bit like I, i've learned so much about myself just in this pandemic like uh where my life slowed down because i was kind of you know just moving forward and, and keeping the, the demons, the smoke behind me. Mm -hmm. And then I, as I slowed down, I kind of went back into the cloud. And for the first time in a long time, was kind of feeling a little depressed. Mm. And um, I had to, you know, I had no choice. I couldn't jump on a plane and go do a gig and act like an idiot and sort of mm -hmm. superficially get it out of me. I had to kind of sit in it and, and figure out why I was feeling what I was feeling. And, and um, but back then, 
you couldn't do that. You just uh, shake it off. Come on, man. Get a hold of yourself. That was therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting analogy. I like that. The smoke is behind you, and then you sit down, you you stop for a minute, and that cloud comes back. There's no doubt everyone's feeling a little bit of that, you know? Yeah, and it's not not a bad thing to sit in the cloud as long as you're not clinically depressed. If it's just sort of like you have pain that you haven't dealt with, to just sort of be like, all right, let's figure this out. Let's forgive everybody, forgive yourself, Mm -hmm. and try not to pass this thing on um to your kids well that's that's a great point you know because they're sponges they soak all that shit up you know we are always you know trying to emulate our parents especially when we're little and you know my dad left when i was a kid i had kurt that who came into my life and was my father figure but there was still a void there and i made it a point when i was a teenager to not be that man you know i wanted to be there for my kids you know but there's right. so much still that I see of myself that I don't like, you know, and I don't even know where it comes from. It has to come from my childhood somewhere, you know? Yeah. And also you just human beings are ridiculously flawed, mm-hmm. which is why this whole cancel culture and going back and vetting people. It's like, oh, did you go back and find a mistake I made? Yeah. I mean, you could have vetted today already at, at, at 10 34 in the morning i've already made mistakes mm-hmm. right <laughs> but but those i who haven't are, said anything that i regret yet today i don't think those who are doing the canceling early. by the way are basically saying that they're living this perfect existence and you know you don't measure up to their fake uh persona that they're putting out there because nobody truly lives well, like they also that. act like they speak for everybody and they, they don't. What they are is they're very smart in that they know how they know where the money's at. So what they do is they put pressure on the money. And the corporation is mindset is if if this is losing money, get rid of it. Corporations are not into right and wrong. They're not into human beings. They're not mm-hmm. into nature. They're not into the environment. They're into making money. So all they have to do is put pressure and make it seem like the person they're in business with is going to be a liability, then they just get rid of them. And the reality is, is if they just wrote it out for three days, you know what yeah. they're like? Cancel culture, they're like, a, they're like a pack of meerkats where they got like this giant poisonous snake and they're all just sitting there lunging, lunging, like they're going to do something. And it freaks the snake out. Even though the snake, what all I have to do is just bite one and kill it. They just sort of psych them out. And the bottom line is, is there's, and I'm not saying that everybody that they, they've criticized is, you know, is not worthy of criticism or everything. But the, just this whole thing where, you know, I like when they cancel somebody and as, especially as a comic, which really seems to be the big thing. You can be mm-hmm. a banker. We were saying when, you know, for some reason, the bankers in 2008 didn't get canceled, you know. But if you tell like a, a, a transgender joke, whatever you're supposed to say, and it doesn't go the right way, then then you're done. You can cook mm-hmm. the economy. Right. And have the greatest generation eating dog food for the rest of their life, even though they paid into this system. That's fine. But if you tell a joke that they don't like, all of a sudden. And then what I love is, is if the comedian continues on and wants to go see a show and is sold out the show, they then attack the club owner or the promoter and put pressure on them. So it's like, well, wait a minute. Hasn't this, the people spoken that right. they want to go, they still want to see this guy, or at mm-hmm. least these four or 500 people. Mm-hmm. And now you're, 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 you're parenting these adults. So I just think it then, then it becomes like, you know, it's like, well, what are you guys doing? 
Because now you're kind of becoming like the Gestapo of the, uh, of, of um, I, I guess, I don't know, society, how people are supposed to think. But 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 I, but I guess the question is, who are you guys? Like, who the hell are the, who's doing the canceling? I mean, it's 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 it a collective social media culture that is doing it. Is it a fifteen-year-old no, girl it, it, who's canceling people? Like, how you know how is this happening? I think it's a combination of people with uh, you know, it's a movement. There's always movements in society, mm-hmm. so there's some people are part of that movement. I think a lot of people just enjoy the entertainment of watching somebody have, you know, looking like they have it all and watching them lose it and watching them groveling and apologizing. And I, I just think, um, and flexing their but, muscles and been, yeah, 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 another big thing. I mean, I felt power. like that happened, that but happened with a certain comic where he had already apologized for something and then was looking, I'm not going to say the name here. Look, was looking at getting a big gig and then they came back and wanted him to apologize again. And it's like, he already apologized. So this is just a show of force. Like, yeah. look at us. Like, the way we think, if you don't think the way we think, we are so powerful that we can have a comedian with one of the biggest gigs in entertainment drop to his knees and beg for our forgiveness twice. And um, But, you know, it's, you know, it's yeah. interesting, though. It's interesting, though, is if you have created a, a persona, you know, you can be immune from some of the cancel culture, you know, I mean, you look at Howard Stern, Howard Stern is Teflon. I guess you can't touch the guy. If you go back and you look at his career, I mean, how is Howard Stern still on the air? He's my favorite by the way, but you know, he's he's untouchable though. You know, but you got to look at humor. Humor is like music. I remember in in the eighties, we were all making fun of disco saying disco was terrible. First of all, we were acting like we didn't like it when it was out. And then we were acting like, this hair metal, we had all these guys dressed like chicks singing about the devil was the answer. And then by the 90s, <laughs> that looked ridiculous. And humor is the same way. Like, I love when they go like, um, like now they'll go after a guy if a guy just has a young girlfriend. If they think the age difference is too big. It's like, it's like, well, you know, things change. They're like, no, nah, this was never acceptable. It's like, dude, Elvis married a 16-year-old yeah. in front of the whole world. Yeah, right. He was Jerry still called Lewis. the king. Yeah. And nobody hit, well, Jerry Lewis got in trouble because that was like a second or third cousin. Right. But yeah, Elvis there was is smart enough. <laughs> 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 so there is like, and then what um what I don't like is I don't like the dishonesty of acting as though. So if you're part of that cancel culture group, it's just like, so you never needed to grow as a person. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't look back at your, yourself 10 years ago going, mm-hmm. oh my God, I can't believe I did that look back on a relationship and be like, Oh God, like all the signs were there. I should have gotten out of that. I broke mm. this person's heart. I feel terrible. Blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, you know, there's I mean, no room for mistakes. There's no room for growth anymore because you're immediately just fucked. Yeah. And it's just because they know where to apply the pressure. They're like jujitsu artists. Oh, they get you trying. <laughs> you don't, you don't fear that though. Right. <laughs> you you don't fear being huh? canceled or any way. Do you? I I mean, do you do? Of course I do. Well, I mean, if you're going to just, if anybody can say anything and they don't have to, there's no trial. I mean, who's really safe? I mean, but how has that affected the way you go about your life and the way you go, you go about your comedy? You know, it actually made me go a little harder. Ah. It's just like, all right, well, I mean, if you're going to get in trouble for this shit, I'm going to go down swing. I mean, but also like I've grown as a person, as far as like, you know, there's that thing when you first start being a comedian 
you have this um, sort of cartoon idea of what a comic is. And he's smoking a cigarette and he's got a leather jacket and he's fucking talking about all this taboo stuff. So you dice, you try that. You try the jacket on. Hey, am, am, I, am I a Bill Hicks guy? Am I Lenny Bruce? Yeah. And, you know, you, you, I went through that period and it's just like, that's not who I am. And then when my life was not going the way I wanted it to, and the more I was sad about not finding love, not getting married, not having kids, the more I was trashing women, the mm. more misogynistic my act got. But it was, if you know, when I go back and look at that, I look at it now, it's like, I didn't believe any of that. That was all of my fear mm. of committing to a relationship, dying alone, never having kids. I just didn't have the mental capacity to understand where that was coming from. You know, it's just, but like if somebody would, you know, to look at it now and be like, oh, this is a guy who's going to be the spokesperson for SeaWorld when he said such and such in 2006. You're like, I'm not that guy anymore. I don't believe any of that stuff, but it's it's like, it's on video. It's it's like the but, Nazis. But, but is your, so is listen it, to this, go, listen yeah, to go, this go, right go, here. Go. The Nazis' yeah. crimes are on video. Yeah. They're never getting let off the hook. All of those other guys, Attila the Hun and all these lunatics, Stalin yeah. doesn't have enough video. He didn't have enough video yeah. to get to, to really stick to the to the to the Mount Rushmore of evil. He just he just didn't. So, you know, when you really go back and you look like all the slavery and the genocide of Native Americans, it's not on film. Not enough of it. Like when you read what happened, it, you, you gotta close the book, it's so bad. But if there was video. Mm. Of what was of what human beings did to other human beings, like you know, I mean, I think the Nazis opened that show. Mm -hmm. I think they're hosting that. I would mm -hmm. say what we did lasted for centuries. What they did was 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 a decade. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Is, is, there, is, there, a, is there a routine? Shut up, Oliver. Is there a routine? No, you shut up. You shut. You up. shut up. No, you is shut there up. A routine Listen. that's back there yeah. that that you have that you go. God, I hope they don't find that. I hope they don't no. go back and look at that. No, because I know it's a joke. It's a joke. And it's yeah. just like, I can't, you know, if listen, you have the freedom to take what I say seriously, but just because you take it seriously doesn't mean I now meant it. Right. Right. Okay. And if I tell you that I was joking, I know, I mean, I'm the guy who wrote the joke. I know what I was thinking. But how about today? You were saying before sort of how, you know, you were your insecurities sort of came out in your comedy and you went hard into it. Right. Like with, you know, women, for instance, you could you you weren't married. You didn't have kids. You went well, hard look, into that. I, I would say all subjects. But nowadays, though, is that still a part of your comedy? Meaning, are you doing things now that in 20 years you're going to be like, oh, I, I was, you know, that was me then. Or are you coming from a more pure That's place? It's hard to say because I, I feel like... Because um, you seem like, like a happy like guy right me. now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, at the, I'm at the forefront of me understanding whatever I am. Mm -hmm. So I, to go in the... I mean, I hope I keep learning or whatever, but like, you know, you also kind of hope that you're done. So um, that you, you've completed it. So... I, don't think I mean, I don't know. I, I will tell ever. you this, though. I have been having a ball trashing white women. Yeah. <laughs> and just watching how in this this whole progressive woke movement, how they div somehow divorce themselves of their own white skin and their own white privilege, put it all on white males. 
mm-hmm. and then stuck themselves at the front of the of the line as far as oppressed people. So I've been having a ball with that. <laughs> and um, because it is bullshit. If I see one more blonde white woman, and it just feels like for me, it's extra hard because it's me. It's just like, I'm not saying you don't have it harder than me, but right. why don't you look over your shoulder every <laughs> once in a while? You might feel a little bit better about where you are in the line <laughs> of difficult. If you were to look at the arc, you know, you're almost at the apex. <laughs> That's so great. I, <clears throat> yeah, and, and, and what kills me is, is as guys, you have to sit there and listen to that. Yeah, because you got because you you because you're right here and they're here. I have to listen to them, like you know they rode over on the Amistad. It's like no, you came over in an SUV with heated seats. <laughs> Just stop it. You know when you talked about not being able to go do a show and superficially get some of this stuff out because of the pandemic what's i I'm, I'm fascinated for you is that therapy is going on stage and doing what you do therapy and if that's the case how do you feel like right when you walk off stage like when you're done if you just killed it when you walk off stage what's the first emotion you feel is it are you tired are you do you feel or just more exhausted are you are you up are you well, depressed? There's, there's, there's different. There's all different kinds of killing. There's going up and doing your act and killing. There's that feeling. There's hitting a zone and barely doing your act and end up doing an extra 20 minutes you didn't even know you had. And then, of course, the next night you try to remember it and you're in your head instead of being open. And then your act then shrinks to 20 minutes less. But my, my favorite thing is uh, there's a certain laugh I don't know how to describe it when you just really connect where it's like they're going beyond laughing at the way you said something. They're going beyond laughing at you. Oh, look at them work, get himself worked up about, you know, something that wouldn't get me worked up. They are like relating and they're connecting. And then within that subset is if you connect with a group that you're not a part of, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, when I, you know, if you do like the Uptown show, which, you know, which is, they say Uptown, it's the, the black crowd, right? You go out there and as a white dude, if you go out there and I mean beyond going like, oh, I'm the white guy, I can't dance. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know things. If you actually go up there and you're talking <laughs> and, you're, and you're, you're talking about your life and they're relating to you, it's, it's an incredible uh, feeling. Like I, I remember, like I got this bit that I was doing. Now I probably won't even remember how to do it. Last summer when I was in New York, I was doing a movie and I was walking down the street and this lesbian deliberately bumped into me. So the first night I did the bit, I was pissed. And of course, the way my career goes, I, the, the show I went on was like the gay night show. And I didn't know. I just popped into the club. They put me on. And then I go on stage. And as I'm standing on stage, I see all these little paper cut out dick and balls. And I was just like, oh, no, is this a gay show? <laughs> But I was like, I got to try this new bit. So I do the bit. And next thing you know, there's these two women in the crowd. They're yelling, lesbians aren't men. And I'm not screaming. And I was just in a bad mood. I was like, oh, go fuck yourselves. Because I was looking at them like they're white women. And I'm just like, oh, what is your fucking complaint now? So we get in this big fuck you, fuck you fight. And then, you know, they go out to the restaurant area. 
So comedy club security is notoriously horrific. They're always like, yep, we kicked them out. And he's, and, and th- what they do is they kick them out and turn their back and the person always comes back in. So I've, I've done this enough. So I put my hoodie up and I'm walking out of the club and they're like, oh yeah, they're at the bar. You're, they were at the bar, they're fine, you're fine. And the second I get outside, they go, okay, you're fine. I take the hoodie down. They're like, is that my hoodie? And they come right at me. <laughs> and I get in this big fight with them. And I walked away and it took me like three days before I kind of came down, you know, talking to myself in the shower, like, you know, still having the argument. It took like three days. This is like and me just, walking out of Fenway, by the way. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. You hate the Red Sox. Fuck you. I don't hate the Red Sox. Fuck off. That's happened. You should anyway, just say, I hate your mother. I hate um, your mother. I don't hate the Red Sox. I just hate you. Shut the fuck up. I hate your mother for making you. You deserve to sit in the bleachers. I'll always have a better seat than you. That actually was right. I got paid. I was paid to be here, you prick. I'm living my dream. I'm sorry. Anyways, uh, so, you know, after three days, I was like, all right, is that what I want to be doing with comedy? Do I really want to be going on stage, having people screaming F you at me and then walking out and then they're upset? That's not what I want to do. And I always thought rather than walking people in the room, more fun was saying something they didn't want to hear and making them stay. Because once they leave, the fun is over. So I had to just really think about, all right, obviously this whole thing was was too emotional for me to kind of talk about in a way that it's going to come out right. So I had to just think about what am I trying to say here? And once I did that, within six weeks, I, the, I would wrapped on the movie and I was in LA and I did the, the joke at the laugh factory. And when I got off stage, a woman who literally looked almost like the woman who bumped into me came walking up to me. And she goes, Oh my God, I feel like you're talking about my life. Because what I had done was, was rather than be like what I was doing at first, like, like, is she bumping into, she think like, I, the joke was she was acting like the first guy, the lesbian who bumped into me. The joke was she was acting like the guy the first guy Steven Seagal beats up in his movie. You know, like he, he would always walk into a bar and someone was just a complete dick for no reason. <laughs> just yeah, be on the other side of the bar. Hey, what's that ponytail for, you big so-and-so? It's just like, like he was just begging for. So the joke was that the lesbians think like that's what being a guy is. Because that was my first thing. Like, does she think you just walk down the street and bump into people? Because it's like, I wouldn't do that in any city. I would last 10 minutes as a guy. So that's as far as I got into the joke. And then those women go, lesbians don't think they're guys. Because I came from my guy perspective. So then what I had to do is I had to get into the why. Why did she do it? And then that's when the magic happened. Mm. Because I realized that, wait a minute, she also dates women like me. And I know what that's like. So then I empathize with her. And by the end is what I should have done was buy her a beer. Mm-hmm. And then we could both <laughs> bitch about the women in our lives. That's how it ended up going. So, Amazing. You had yeah, a whole catharsis. So then, so then that's why. And then that opened the door for that woman to come up to me and be like, I felt like you were talking about my life. And what she, she didn't mean like she was walking around bumping into people. But when I was talking about dealing with a woman in a relationship, she was able to relate as different as we were. And like, that was like, you know, that was, I got so much out of that. Yeah. You know, and it took me, it took me, you know, 27 years of being a comedian to be like, like, wow, like that is such a cool way to dip into a joke mm. rather than always just coming from me. Why, why don't I start trying to see 
well, what's going on with the other person? Wait, is that empathy? I don't think I've ever had empathy in my freaking act. Let's, this is a whole new room I can walk around in. Yeah. So, well, you, so you're evol- you're constantly evolving. Your comedy is probably constantly evolving, right? I right, mean, which is it why it's be. so stupid for these people to just go like, you said this in 2012, so that's who you are in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Were you funny always as a kid? I mean, or 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 is this something that came a little later? You know, was this something you've always wanted to do? I wasn't I wasn't strong enough to be funny in certain social situations. There was too many like alpha five year olds on the playground. (laughs) I would back down like I was sort of comfortable being not a nerd and not a cool guy. I was like I liked being an extra in the movie of my childhood. That's kind of where I was comfortable. And it wasn't until my 20s that I started, you know, uh, I, I transferred to Emerson College, started taking performance classes, getting in front of the crowd and it just in front of the class. And it just really made me feel good that I was able to, you know, sort of be who I was supposed to be. And your you first know? gig, what was your first ever time on stage ever? I mean, um, do you remember that? Was it at, at Emerson when you signed up for an well, open Well, it was mic an Emerson-related thing. It was Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston. They, they did a Find Boston's Funniest College Student thing uh, contest, which was just this great marketing idea to get to pack the place with college kids drinking, mm-hmm. watching their friends bomb for yeah. like four Mondays in a row. It's <laughs> a great idea. So, yeah. um, Emerson being such a performance school, and there were so many talented kids, a lot more talented than I was when I, I was going then, I'm sure today. So we actually, we had so many people sign up that they had to do two nights. So they called me up and asked if I would go to the second night and I was shy, chicken down. I said, okay. So March 2nd, 1992. And, um, you know, if there's anybody watching and they want to be a comedian, what I always say is your first time on stage has nothing to do with how well you do. Mm. All it is, is about having the courage that when they say your name, you walk up there and start talking. It doesn't make a difference if nothing works right? because nothing really should work because it's just the most, the weirdest, most outer body. Uh, My daughter did that in Chicago and, and did two, two summers of, of improv got up there at an open mic night. I've never been more proud of her. She did it one. The first night she said it went great. Second night she tried it again, said it sucked. But I mean, the balls it takes as a kid right. to get up there and, exp- and, and just, expose what you think is funny that, that's well, the hardest been... second show the hardest second show you're ever going to have is if your first show went great right you bomb <laughs> your first time you're going to try to forget that show right. so you're going to be in the moment and it's all about being present so you really have if you have a good or a bad show you have to forget it there's definitely things like oh i said it this way i gotta kind of remember like that's the flow of it but you have to like if to catch a zone, you you cannot be thinking about anything in the past or, or in the future. You just have to be there. And mm. the hardest being there is so friggin' hard when your last show went great. I guess if, you, if your, your previous show went so bad, if you walked out with the fear of, oh, God, is this going to happen again? You could have a problem. But I always found shaking off a, uh, a great show was, a lo- was much harder than shaking off a bad one. Is this, like, I, don't, I don't want to think about that. Is this just you? Like, I mean, I, I feel, I, I wonder if you ever get tired of coming on. I know everybody gets tired of coming on podcasts, but do you ever get tired 
of coming on and having to be what you've been on this call and, and just on like the, do you ever just like, God, I just don't, I don't have, I'm not on, I'm not on right now. What it is, I just reached a level of comfortability that I was, I was as I'm just as relaxed as I was when I was just the funny guy in a bar and my friends would be like, Mm. you know, you should, you should be a comedian. So then what happens is, is if you could just somehow be as relaxed as you are with your friends from your first show on, you'd be like, for me, you'd be like a 12 year vet the second you watched on Mm. stage. And I've seen people come on stage, you know, early on with ridiculous level of, of being comfortable. But, um, you know, I've, I've said this a million times when they always say, you know, with comedians, you're trying to find your voice. And I always argue that every comic has their voice as they're waiting to go on for their first open mic. And then when they get called on stage, as they walk to the stage, they lose their voice because they immediately are in here. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay, don't trip when you walk up there. How do I get the mic out of the mic stand? I mean, you're not gonna be that guy in the bar that was telling stories, imitating everybody. You were at work standing up and being animated and all that because you're, you're comfortable with your friends. Now all of a sudden, you're in front of this crowd. They're not gonna talk at all. And then you have to artificially recreate the bar situation or these stories. And um, like, I don't think that you you really understood comedy. You were just trying to be funny um, and you weren't breaking it down. Like when you were being funny in like the high school cafeteria, and then all of a sudden the first time you sit down to write jokes and it's like, how do I, do? I remember just sitting there, like looking at the, uh, the, the blank page, like what, how do you do this? And I just started writing and writing and writing like stories and just trying to figure it out. And um, you know, it took a long time. It took me about eight or nine years to consistently have like three, four shows in a row where I was comfortable mm. wow. and, and, and not, you know, you know, the first eight years of my career, I was pacing the stage like a lunatic, pouring sweat. And so much of my movement had nothing to do with the joke. It was just all nervous energy. Even though at that point I had confidence and I had an act, there was still like bombing on a regular basis was still so close that I, I think all that movement was like, I didn't know how it was going to go. And then I moved down to New York as white as I am. And then there was all these racially mixed crowds, you know, Dominican, Puerto Rican, uh, African-American and all that. And I was just like, well, I know I could make angry white guys in Boston laugh. How does it work down here? And rather than throwing myself into it, I'd be on my heels. And the second you're on your heels, they smell blood in the water. And then the crowd's on you. Mm. And then it becomes this self-fulfilling thing. And I used to, oh man, I used to have to like, I have to, I had all these rituals I did. I would untie and retie my shoes because I would be afraid that I was going to trip over my, my, my shoelaces. You know that in the Catholic church, you make the sign of the cross over here and, you know, God in my mind, yeah. words in my heart. I would do that, but it, it didn't mean the religious thing. It just meant positive. Just like be positive mindset, positive here, positive here, positive. Just go up there and just, just throw yourself out there. And I would feel like I was doing it. Like I was just throwing myself at them. And all I was doing was moving from here to like here. But it felt like a, like a hundred miles. <laughs> and I would think like I was up there and I was being animated, doing all of this stuff. And I would just be going like, eh, eh, eh. and I was just, I was, I was in this little box. And I, and I, I mean, I could have learned so much quicker as a comic if I could actually stomach watching myself 
I just hated myself when I would watch you going like, why am I going so fast? Oh, I'm sweating. Oh, I'm doing these little movements. Oh my God. I, I just, it took forever to be able to stomach what, even just watching a six minute tape of myself. Can you watch yourself now in movies and stuff? I mean, are you okay watching yourself? I, I have this weird thing where I can watch, I could watch three hours of myself now if I knew no one else was going to see it. But like if yeah. I'm editing a special and knowing that it's going out there, uh, my last one was the easiest one to watch because the way Mike Binder um, shot it was just so like, it was this special that I had been chasing all throughout the years with all of these amazing directors, Jay Karras. Like Jay Karras did like, he, his, his signature thing was he always did that handheld in the crowd, which was a tip to Richard Pryor live on the uh, Sunset Strip. He had that shot. So we were like totally comedy nerds. And then I wanted to do one overseas and Mike Binder directed me in a movie and he was shooting a movie over there and he was like, all right. And it, it just sort of came together. And he had this shot from behind and it was Royal Albert Hall and I'm a huge Zeppelin fan. And I love John Bonham. And, yeah. and it just was, and, and our Royal Albert Hall still kind of looks the same way it did when Zeppelin played it. So I was just sitting, it was cool. just so, I don't even think I was listening to my act really. Yeah. And um, fortunately, Mike, he made a big edit where he took out this chunk where the special was going to be like an hour and 25. And we took that out and it became like an hour and five. And then it just, he was just, trust me. He goes, trust mm -hmm. me. Then we did it. And then it just like, it just took off. I felt like it was mm. soaring, you know, and just got this updraft and, and, and just landed on this great point. So yeah, that one I could, I could watch all the other mm -hmm. ones. Jay would tell you that it would take me, have you looked at it yet? It would take me like a week <laughs> and, and I would just, I would have to, I would just, it would take me like a week to get through it. I could, I would mm. watch 10 minutes every day. And I'd be like, okay, if I watch 10 minutes every day, I'll be done. Like, well, why don't you watch 11 minutes? So we can not, it's just like, it really is awful. Like the, yeah. it's weird. But it's so color. weird though. It's so weird that, that you know, it, for kids that want to get into sports announcing or broadcasting, I, that's, I tell them that every time, as hard as it is, you have got to watch or listen to your own stuff. That's yeah. the only way you can pick up if you're, you know, in my world, if you're describing the ground ball to short the same way every time, or if, you have like a little nervous something that you're always throwing in or you're, you know, if you do TV, if you're not turning in time to catch the camera or whatever it might be, but you have to watch yourself. And it's so hard for everybody to watch themselves or listen to themselves perform. And, and I, if I don't, one of those guys that has no problem in the beginning, you are truly blessed or you're a total narcissist and you're not going to learn anything anyways. You're right, like, yeah. Oh my God, I'm amazing. I mean, that was perfect. Right. <laughs> Why it so long to hire me? But um, I am really envious of people that can do that. I remember um, I, I worked with the uh, Always Sunny guys on a project one time, and I was already dreading looking at it. And uh, uh, Rob Mathelhaney was saying to me, "He goes, dude, I got over that." He goes, "You just gotta, you just gotta plow through it and just be like, all right, I, you know." I, I forget. He, he really put it in a, in a very comforting way. It's funny. I can't remember what he said, 
But <laughs> I always think, hey, remember that thing Rob said that I can't quite remember that made me feel better? You know, Do as that. successful as those guys are, I mean, they're like, but they're getting better ratings than they've ever gotten. They're like in their 14th season, which is just yeah. unheard of. Um, just knowing that he had to, because he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Like he's like next level. Um, Charlie has issues, but Rob. <laughs> um, I always got to give him a dig because he made fun of comedy clubs one time. And, and I just, yeah, so I kind of had a funny back and forth with him about that. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, those three guys, they're, they're geniuses. So I, I, uh, I, I learned a lot, even that, that little time working with them as far as like, like you just have to be, uh, you got to see the humor in, in you sucking on a take, the humor in what your voice sounds like versus what yeah. you think it's going to sound like. And you just have to like, um, you know, I've been able to, uh, after being like super self-conscious through performing, I've learned how to, uh, not only accept, you know, what I look like, what I sound like and all of that, but to really, uh, steer in to some of the uglier sides of me, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I've always, I've always just been, I've cared too much about what people think and that has, you know, it's made me not as good as I can be. And, and on my 24th birthday, Kurt, you know, had a talk with me and, and he just said, look, and I had just started acting and he goes, you have to stop giving a shit what, what people think about, you know, that yeah. you just stop giving a fuck because it really will slow you down. And, uh, I've worked on that every day as an actor. I'm saying, you know, who gives a fuck? And there's a freeing aspect to it. I can't be like Kurt because that man really doesn't give a fuck, you know, how, how people, you know, think about him. He, he, he just boom. And that allows him to be free and do stupid takes and be bad, you know, yeah. because then he's trying shit. You know, we get so buttoned up sometimes that we, we don't try things anymore. You know, that I, I'm always yeah, if, you, on if that. you get like that, then, then what it is, is you start doing the same performance or your, same your wheelhouse yeah. becomes like this big. And then it's just like more of the same, which to me, yep. I would rather hear you sucked than, than like, you know, more of the same, you know, it's been, it's a really hard thing to more of the same with like acting is really difficult because you're going to get cast by what you look like. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I can play cops and firefighters for the rest of my career. I'll just play older cops and firefighters. <laughs> so, I mean, that was what was so cool about doing uh, the Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson thing last year yeah. was the depth that they were allowed, you know, uh, the, the, the guy that I was playing, all the stuff that was going on with them, the backstory and stuff like that. So, um you know, I, I mean, you I were think so I, good in that. You were so. Mm -hmm. I, I got to tell you, I, I watched yeah, it, man. and and I really came good. around. Set you guys up for the compliments. I've been you did. No, I, I was thinking you about that, getting ready for this interview because I I found myself and and it it switched at the end. I, I became I, I started rooting for the kid, but the whole time when once your character is introduced, I just found myself rooting for you. You know, which I I don't know <laughs> was their intention. But I think by the end of the movie, you know, then the beauty kind of comes out and, and the growth has happened with. with I think that's because you're your age and you're a dad. And so as much as you don't want to be that, hey, get off my lawn, you need to straighten up, you punk. It right. just, you know, and you're not wrong. He did need to straighten up. But what was interesting about the two of them is they both had a bit of an arrested development. 
So, and, uh, the, and then the same woman, Marissa Tomei, through basically kicking us both out, ha- helps us to try to get to another level. So mm-hmm. there was a lot, you know, it's Judd Apatow. There's a lot of layers to it. Yeah. Hey, do you consider yourself a good dad? I mean, do you think you are and going to be a good father? Well, I mean, it's too early. It's like I, I pitched a couple of innings and haven't let up any runs yet. There's still. <laughs> we'll, uh, Is there anything you fear, though, you know, moving forward, you know, looking back at how you were raised or things you might not want to do or things you want to emulate? You know, I mean, it's always well, a work in progress. Kids, I want my kids to respect me. I don't want them to fear me. Um, sort of did you, fear your, did you fear your dad? Oh, everybody was afraid of their dad when I was growing up. Yeah. Your dad drove up the driveway. I mean, you shut off the TV, you grabbed a book. But there's something to be said about that. Where I think it, in, in, if I had kids when I was, you know, you know, air quotes, supposed to have kids, I would have done what a lot of people my age and a little bit older did, where they tried to be their kid's friend. Mm-hmm. And that's not what they need. They need someone to lead. Yep. And they need someone to discipline them. Um, it's just, yep. it was, it was an overcorrection from the, you know, sit down and shut the fuck up because I said so. Yeah, no, you're right. The pendulum swung way too far the other way. Joe and I talk about this all the time. I think we, uh, we are in a coddled America for the most part, you know, the, our kids are way too coddled, you know, there's not enough discipline in parenting anymore. And they, 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 they want it. They crave it. They don't know that they do, but they need the structure and discipline. And I would argue also that it's, it's a superficial coddling too, in that what young people are dealing with today, with what's happening, how quickly the environment is changing these never ending wars that we've had, where we are financially a pandemic. I mean, they're dealing with, you know, because it's nothing seems real now because everything's filmed. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, they're dealing with like they're dealing with like stuff from like 100 years ago, the Great Depression, the influenza mm-hmm. pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Spanish we, flu. Yeah, Spanish flu, whatever. Yeah. And it's just like and then uh, how ridiculously expensive um, colleges and like where is the job market now? I mean, I can't imagine being a smart kid now. And, you know, you're going to go to Harvard and do all of this stuff. And you're going to be, you're supposed to be like this made guy. And then just some kid who's just funny can have a YouTube channel and instant, not instantly, but like build it up where they're making 10 times what the president of the United States makes making just these crazy videos and like, or some, or just some kid unboxing a toy. I mean, literally that mundane. I mean, these unboxing videos, these, these, these kids are making millions and millions, millions of, dollars. of dollars unboxing toys, but he's supposed to follow his heart that he's into physics. Yeah. Right. And like now, like back in the day, you know, what's cool about back in the day is when you invented something, people knew your name, mm-hmm. but now the corporations absorb all of these. That's why it's like, you know, I, you know, Tesla, you know, Einstein, you knew, you knew the smart, they were like smart people were celebrities back then. But now, mm-hmm. like, the, the corporations have stuck them under a tarp. Like, these are our guys. You know, it's like Steve Jobs got all the credit for everything Apple ever did. And then you find out he never wrote a line of programming, if that's true. If that's not mm-hmm. an urban myth. I don't know. But, like, you know, who's the guy who came up with this thing? You know, make yeah. it bigger, make it smaller. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Somebody do figured you think that we'll out. Ever get, are we ever going to get name. back to that, though? Are we ever going to get back to revering 
the brain, revering the intellects, you know, the creators, the inventors. I would think everything would have to collapse first, which I don't want to go through. So, I mean, I can be honest with you, if, if I was elected president, one of the first things I would do is mm-hmm. when I would go back to uh, the government regulating ownership of media. Because when I was, I mean, when I was back at Emerson College, I remember for the test, it was rules of sevens. No one person could own a combination, any combination of seven newspapers, radio stations, TV stations, all in the same market because they knew that, that well, this guy could control public opinion. Yeah. And now you look at CNN and Fox News, they've turned us into Hatfields and McCoys right down to this stupid virus. This virus is wearing a blue or a red tie, depending yeah. on what a virus is wearing a tie right now. It's, it's the stupidest thing. And um, I, you know, I get into a lot of arguments with friends. I tell, I go, shut it off. Stop watching that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like when I, like, I'll tell you a good old school thing that we need to go back to, I feel like, is when you have company or whatever, it was, you don't bring up politics, you don't bring up religion. Mm-hmm. Stay away from those two things. Keep it nice. Let's play some cards and, mm-hmm. and like, and connect with each other. And, and engage, put your story. phone down, put your, you know, look up. I, I, I know I'm so world. guilty of that. I'm so I, guilty of that. Well, that's because you don't want to make <laughs> eye contact. Cause you go, Hey, it's fucking Bill Burr. What are you? You're buried in your phone in an elevator grunting with a, no, I mean on. like parenting and stuff. Like I'll be like, you know, oh, watching yeah. the ticker or the Bruins type. game. Um, we do try to have, we go through periods like we're going to have Sunday night dinner, no phones and blah, 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 blah. We, like, we got to try and stick to that um, more. But I definitely, my daughter, I'm, I am proud to say, has watched way, way, way less TV and screen time and all of that. You know, she still knows, you know, she's going to watch the Disney classics and she's going to watch Pixar stuff. Is, it, is there any blessing for you in this pandemic? You know, meaning, yeah, that smoke has crept up on you and you've gotten through it, but you get to be with your kids. You get to be home. Definitely. You know, I've been I mean, home every day of my son's life, which is great. Yeah. Which is not something a comedian gets to say usually beyond two weeks into that kid being well, born. Well, bad ones do. Huh? Bad ones do. <laughs> Shitty yeah, guys comedians get booked. to say that. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> but I mean, it is how we earn a living. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I had to kind of forgive myself for the time that I was going to be away to be like, but I'm also going to be home. When I'm home, I am home. So mm-hmm. I just try to keep those hours in my head calculated so I actually spend more time than someone who just has a nine to five. Because um, even then, five days a week, it's like they're going to see you at breakfast and then you got your commute and then you're going to be at work and then you got your commute home. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to eat dinner yeah. and then they're going to go to bed. It's yeah. not a lot of quality time. Um, but whereas I can like, you know, I can do, you know, ride bikes and you should see my daughter hit the T-ball and she's a lefty too. She was throwing oh, left, oh, yeah. she switched, but she throws, she bats left, throws right. So I think I got a first baseman on my hand. Oh, that's nice. good. I'm, le- I'm lefty all around. You know, I played oh, ball, cool. I throw left, kick left. I played hockey for eight years. Everything's left for me. Golf. Oh, it's, I'm, but it's I'm hard. a little bit of both. Wait till your boy gets a little bit older and you're, you know, I I'm guilty. My boys are a uh, little over two and I, 
I'm jamming bats in their hands. I'm making them throw balls at me. I'm doing anything. They shoot hockey pucks, whatever they want to do. But it's, I think eventually they're like calling timeout. Like, give me a break. I want to go. Uh, well, I mean, I, I've had to deal with that a little bit because I love sports. I love team sports. I've played team sports all my life. My kids are my boys and my, my girl actually is extremely athletic, but my boys are I, they don't, they're not into team sports. You know, they ride their motorcycles, dirt bikes, mountain bikes, you know, skating, skateboarding, but no baseball, no hockey, no soccer. I tried it all. And there's a part of me that's dying inside and I just have to let it go, you know? And that's part of, part of it being a dad for me no, too. It's like, all right, fuck skateboards it. are pretty cool though. They're cool. Doing cool stuff. No, it's cool stuff, but still, man, like get into that team sport. Feel what that's like. Get into a locker room. You know, that's well, though, I gotta that's be cool honest shit. with you. As a sports fan, I hate what this whole progressive movement has done with team sports. Where oh yeah. They completely miss the boat and they yeah. just focus on bad things that happen and then always go on the rape culture of blah 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 blah. It's just like there's not like they miss out on all of those years. I remember like you know, when they would talk about how, you know, in a huddle, everybody's all one. It didn't matter, you know, those old NFL films, everybody's working on this goal and stuff. Not saying that there still weren't, you know, issues with race and everything, but it was just like sports in a lot of ways has been way more progressive mm. than, than they, they've kind of been ahead in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, because of a few incidents that happen or just how much they get gassed up, um, they miss out on uh, how you have to sit there like playing team sports. You have to figure out who am I on this team? You know, everybody yeah. wants to be the star and then you got, okay, I'm not the star. How can I contribute? And then when you're young, you resent, you maybe you resent the person, you know, who's doing better than you. It's like, I got to get past that. That's, that's not mm -hmm. on him. That's on me. Mm -hmm. And then, and then if you are the star, then you can't go diva because mm -hmm. that ruins the team. What you have to learn how to do is you got to make everybody better around you and mm -hmm. try to, you know, uh, uh, and, and if like, you know, that Jordan thing where you practice like you're not going to make the team or Tom mm -hmm. Brady, just the way he, he would always get everybody involved on the offense, you know, let's go and just be like the intensity that he had after four rings, five rings, six rings, like that, that guy still wants to win. And um, they're like, that's what I love about sports. And you can, you can take all those metaphors, you can apply them to, you know, I run a podcast network and, and it's like, you know, I'm on the board on the thing. So it's, it's like, you know, when there's issues there, like a lot of the things that I've learned from watching the greats in sports, you can apply to your business. So mm -hmm. um, I just hate that now that it's, it's just it's really a, it's this attack on testosterone and being an mm -hmm. alpha male like there's something wrong with you if you're confident and you're not afraid to say hello to the beautiful woman in, in the bar mm -hmm. so like like i've always like i always thought like the coming of age movies from the 80s that were so written by the nerds in the writer's room that so the yes. athletic guy with the beautiful <laughs> cheerleader girlfriend was always a dick he was always treating her like shit it's like why couldn't he just be athletic and respect women <laughs> Why couldn't he be that guy? It's like, because you couldn't handle that that's the hand he got dealt. And you couldn't handle the hand that you were dealt. So now you got to just make this guy a freaking cartoon. And like like this whole narrative that if you play sports, that you're this date rapist. But if you play Dungeons and Dragons, 
You're, you're like this Nobel Peace Prize winner waiting to be discovered. <laughs> it's, it's just a crock of shit. It's like there are great people in bed. There's everyone from Gandhi to, I mean, to Harvey yeah. Weinstein's in every subset of humanity. And, and I just feel that uh, it's really ironic that these, these, these progressive people are painting with the broad brush that they're allegedly against. And uh, but they are very smart. Like I said, they put the squeeze on the money, so they haven't been called out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it just it, it ends up being like a corporation just settling a lawsuit. Like just just wipe away. Yeah, make the problem away. go away. Make the problem go away. They don't really want to. As and, you and, said earlier, you don't want to stand behind their people. They don't want to stand. Right, and the corporation just, just is away. like is like the mob. And if you become too much of a problem, you get whacked. But because what a corporation does is legal, they don't have to. You know, it's like a bank. A bank is a loan shark, okay? But it's legal, so they don't have to break your legs. Mm -hmm. So it looks like what they're doing isn't a bad thing, but it is. Mm -hmm. They don't (laughs) have to break your legs, but they'll take take your life. Yeah, they'll take your house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All I'm coming away from the- Put you out of your misery. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. A bullet bullet might be easier. (laughs) I'm going to come out of this thinking of Gandhi- Cross legs, rolling a twenty-sided dice, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's that's what I'm walking out of this with. I know, well, Gandhi's already been vetted too, and he, I guess he did some bad stuff too, if you can believe it. I forget oh, what sure. his thing was. Ate too many donuts, or he's a womanizer. I don't know what it was. Amazing. Oh, well, Bill, man, this was this was good. This was really fun. Unreal. Thank right. you. All right, thank now you so thank much, you, brother. Oliver. Don't read the comments after this, okay? No, don't I don't. I don't listen. Do I don't even. I don't even listen to the podcasts. You know, I get them sent every week. Like, you know, do you have notes? I'm like, I don't want to fucking listen to myself. I, you, That's you, right. That's you the greatest. Cut it the advice. way you want to cut it. <laughs> Whenever I put something out, though, I, I read the. I read until the first negative one. I'm like, all right, went oh, like yeah. 11. I went to, I went, I got right. 11 in before somebody took <laughs> exactly. me up. Exactly. Shit, I, There's I a get it right off the top. I get it right. Do sports for a living. You think doing comedy's hard? Do sports on network TV for a living. Hey, that's oh, all yeah. I get. Inviting me to sit in the booth sometime. Yes, anytime. Why? I, anytime. Fenway, Foxborough, Lambo, mm-hmm. Wrigley, whatever. Yes. What are you talking about? I want to do it at a Yankee Stadium and trash all their fans. Okay, good. Fun. I don't want to go there and be nice within, in friendly confines. You can sit uh, within. 10 inches of well when we don't have to socially no. distance and we're at games come to Yankee Stadium that'd be fantastic. Oh yeah no I, I was I, I, I was with uh I was with Joe in the booth uh when when the Astros beat the Dodgers in uh, game 7 oh, yeah. and I was up in the booth with you at Chavez. Congratulations to the Astros by the way you did earn that championship. Yeah. yeah. Oh and I, I and I was there teams- when Boston beat LA as well because my wife my wife is from Boston her whole family is from Boston the Cape and North you know in Falmouth and then you know Northern Mass and the whole there got their whole so they're huge huge Red Sox fans. I was really so happy we- for the Astros. I still consider it a championship and I'll tell you why. Because when the Yankee fans I got a lot of buddies mine the Yankee fans um which is fun we have good back and forth but they were saying so you know they shouldn't have won they were complaining about the Astros. And I was like, wait a minute. I go, didn't for like a decade, didn't the Red Sox and the Yankees field roided up teams of free agents? I mean, you know, you know buying everybody's best yeah, player. It's like, where do you and, draw the line? Yeah. So many of them were on roids. They banged on a trash can. 
I mean, the shot heard around the world. They they heard that, that there was a frigging camera out there. I mean, I, I mean, I I just I, I can't like uh, look. They they shouldn't have done what they did, but it's really hypocritical. The the amount of people that uh, have tested positive on on my team and the other team that was complaining to sit there. I mean, there was a while there where we were using the Royals and the Padres as like our and the Pirates as like our own farm teams. Um, I mean, I, I have a big problem with that, by the way. The fact that, you know, like you're a Charlotte Hornets fan and you draft Kobe Bryant and he's like, well, this franchise stinks. So then he's going to leave and go with the Lakers. And it's just like, so what do you do as a Hornets? Fan? Like, how is that good for the league? So if I'm a Hornets fan, like it's, it's like the cast system in sports, being a sports fan, like you can only have so much joy. Like that would have been right. so much like I, I like how the NFL, how anybody can win. Like mm-hmm. that's that it, it gives you a purpose. Yeah, I, I as, think as, we're, we're now, I think, more acutely, acutely aware of how sports is one of the few things, maybe the only thing that actually brings people together. We're all so segmented and everybody hates everybody and everybody's just shut off. But sports, when you, when it's normal and you're in an arena and you're at a Bruins game or I'm at a blues game and you know, they score a big goal and you're high fiving people that you probably wouldn't talk to on the aforementioned elevator or whatever it brings. There's joy and there's collective joy. And there's just so little yeah. of that in today's world. So sports is not everybody's a sports fan, but God, it, it really, there's a purpose for it right now. I hope the, I feel like the NBA because of bird and magic and then into Jordan, I feel like they've been trying to artificially recreate it and they've just sold their soul to the super team. And mm-hmm. I mean, one of the main reasons you watch sports is for competition. And I'm not saying the Boston Celtics weren't guilty of it in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally am saying that was a, that was a pile on team. And I just mm-hmm. remember as a kid, that when you were an outdoor recess and you were choosing up teams, even as kids, if it got too lopsided, you'd be like, all right, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> right. Even as kids, right. you were like, right. where's the joy going to be if all the athletes beat up the math team, you know, playing Nerf football. <laughs> right. So I hope they, I hope they get away from that because as a basketball fan, I was looking forward to the Thunder blowing a 3-1 lead, coming back next year and facing Golden State again. Mm-hmm. It's like, the same way I look forward to see, can Jordan get past the Pistons? I don't know. See Jordan join the Pistons, you know, I don't know. Right. No, that was the driving force of that whole documentary is, is how, you know, they kept going whether it was, yeah, the whole Isaiah thing and the, you know, the Pistons that were you, as I said, we're the same age. So I, that's even in St. Louis Celtics, Lakers, Pistons, everybody, you knew what kind of team you were going to get. And that's what Jordan and, and that crew had to get, over the top of to, yeah. to achieve greatness. Hey, Joe, That's- real quick, what happened with the Astros situation? It just went away. Like it was like, oh my God, this is the biggest thing in baseball. And now I don't even hear a peep. Is anything gone? It cost down? The, the GM got fired. The manager got fired. They got fined. They lost draft picks, but the players got immunity for spilling their guts and they suffer no consequences, the players, whatever they did. And major league baseball is kind of sitting on a lot of that information. But when you think about it, Bill and Oliver, if there's too much movement, player movement to think that that stuff, some version of that doesn't go on on every team, because if I'm Mm -hmm. in the bullpen as a a middle reliever, 
one day I'm on the Astros, the next day I'm on the Rangers and we're playing the Astros. You think that guy's not going to say something that, hey, they're banging on trash cans. Mm -hmm. That means they're all doing it. Well, here's another thing, too. Like, I don't know why my whole life watching baseball, they have a camera right behind the pitcher. They have TVs in the dugout. What's what's to stop somebody to be going in there, somebody in there. And at this point, texting with all of the technology, um, even like, you know, in the NFL, that whole Spygate thing, all that was that was that was the first game that was against the rules because everybody did that. You would just film them. And then you'd be watching the footage and you would hope that maybe you'd get an advantage on two plays in right. the second half. I just love how the narrative was. You filmed them and you knew exactly what they were doing. Like they were going, throw the ball, hand it right. off, right? <laughs> uh, but the rule is that you just can't have a, at least it was then, you can't have a camera on the field. It said nothing about up in the booth, which they still do, which is why to this day, when you watch a college football game, they are holding up like a picture as a slice of pizza, the sign for pie and Urkel, and there's somebody else doing it. It's like, right. why do you think they're doing that? Because there's somebody over there trying to steal signs. And here's the thing, stealing signs is a skill. Yeah, That is an egghead thing. So if you're stealing signs, good on you. You're smarter if than the guys doing the, if, if you If you think right. that's cheating, we should forfeit World War II. Right. If you're, yeah, with code breakers and what, yeah, if, if you're dumb enough that your signs are so simplistic that they can be stolen, then that's on you. That's not on the team doing the stealing. That, that's it's gone on like, in baseball throughout the history of time. A guy squeezes the ball, no, it means they're going to run it, you know? Like yeah. all of that in the center, like they, they, they look for ticks. Everybody's looking for like this the tell. advantage. So that's why I got to tell you how much I'm rooting for Tom Brady to win mm. one in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Cause I just yeah. want to see what is Jim Mercer going to say now? What is his bitch going to be now? That guy who sat yeah. on the competition committee. Okay. Dude, they literally changed the rules of passing coverage because they couldn't beat the Patriots and then stole our offense and then won a Super Bowl. And then this piece of shit loses a game by 35 points and hires his own internal investigation that Goodell like goes, yeah, that makes sense to me. And in the you're going to have to get over deflate. Colts also had deflated balls, <laughs> and I will never forgive the sports media for actually going along with that. It was the biggest crock of shit ever. So I just want to see him win again, just to see what is Jim Mercer. Where were you oh, on he was all that, Joe? In a warmer climate, and it's easier to throw the ball. Where were you on the deflate gate, Joe Joseph? I, well, I'm scared to answer now. I'm not having Bill well, Burr come after my ass. No, my you favorite answer thing was it. when Steve Young said they should forfeit all their Super Bowls. It's like, first of all, Steve, this is the first game it's been illegal. And secondly, you should watch Bill Parcells tell that story about Bill Walsh, where he pretended that his headsets went out after he had already called all the plays for the first half. Because if your headset goes out, the other team can't use their headset. Right. And that was for a but playoff that, game. That, and then the that next does, year, Bill Parcells played him again. And he goes, hey, he goes, hey, how you doing, coach? He goes, great. He goes, by the way, Bill, he goes, if your headset goes out again in this game, I'm going to expose you. And Bill Walsh smiled and goes, just a little gamesmanship, coach. Right. No, that 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 yeah. was going to be my point. That stuff's gone on forever. Exactly. I mean, it does seem to happen a lot exactly. at Foxborough. I mean, headsets do go there out wasn't in 24 Foxborough hours more than any other team. Media then. There wasn't 24-hour sports media, and human beings didn't get better looking when they aged. 
like Tom Brady has. We didn't have that technology yet. (laughs) (laughs) What are you accusing him of? No, no, I'm saying he he's the only guy I've ever seen play as long as he has, and he is infinitely better looking and in better shape in his 40s than he was when he was a 22-year-old college kid. No, you're right. He looks younger now than he did when he got drafted out of Michigan. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and I think that that's – I think a lot of that, you know, success breeds contempt and all of that. I know know because it's familiarity, but, you know, if you do well, you're going to get yelled at. And then if you look like him and you have a Super Bowl, you know, and you've got all – Jewelry. I mean, it's just gonna. Uh, what are they gonna say? That yeah, they're just I, I, that I'm, much. Better I'm more than excited. Us. I'm excited to see what the Patriots do this season. You know, I, I'm I'm very curious. Oh, I'm excited about that. I, I want them both to win one to shut yeah uh, everybody up. But I I cannot recommend though reading a book on Paul Brown enough, and you'll get to see um what, like this. I mean, I don't know Bill Belichick, but that has to be his guy. I guarantee you. Yes. It's it's a mirror. And Otto Graham is the first Tom Brady. He he won four. He won all four in the so-called Bush League. And then he won two in the NFL. uh, No, or three, two or three. I think he won three. And then he uh, for a total, he won six. I think he won seven. And then he uh, and he also went to like six NFL championships in a row. I mean, I don't know. That could, that to me, that Tom Brady, right. it never James. gets mentioned. Otto Graham never oh. gets mentioned as as never like happened. the all time great or like the Babe Ruth of of the NFL or whatever. No, never said Adam Vinatieri. I think we have the next Lou Groza on our hands. Lou the Toe no. Groza. Nobody said that. Lou the Toe. <laughs> Lou, Lou the, the Toe. toe. Um, all right, I gotta get. Amazing. I gotta. Get, all right, go. All right, you're the best. Thank you, uh, Bill. Bill, right. thanks, I, brother. I'm gonna Appreciate call it. In that favor at some point when this stuff's over. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get in the booth. anytime. Any time, please. All right, gentlemen. We'll see you next time. Damn. He is a smart motherfucker. He is smart and cool and, ah, everything. Bill Burr. God. Very funny. (laughs) So funny, but so smart. I mean, you, you have to be so smart to make references the way he makes them. And I, I feel like none of that stuff, maybe some is, but I feel like that stuff's just hitting him. Jesus. You know? Isn't it? Well, first of all, he's a sports encyclopedia. I mean, I've never really talked to anyone with that much knowledge. I mean, it was, I, I he knows was way like, more okay. than I do. Oh, yeah. my he God. knows way I more mean, than I do. Yeah. If my info guy, if my info guy drops dead, I, you I, should have Bill Deer. Bill do Burr. Can you imagine Bill Burr in the back of the booth with a headset on, like handing me cards? Yeah. Lou, by the way, Lou he, the toe grows a. Bill would be a great, great on air, by the way. I mean, yeah, because he voice, knows. He knows so much, you know. You should, Fox should hire Bill Burr, like, like NFL history with Bill Burr. And he just comes right. in and does a fucking rant on does the history of take. the NFL. It does his take He'd be on great. the history. That's a great idea, by the way. Well, that was really fun, man. That was really fun. I want to hang out with Bill. Like just, uh, he's a guy I would love to just sit and drink beers with. Yeah. Fun Me too. Uh, um, I, it's, it's, I gotta say it's intimidating for me to be on a, a podcast with a comedian, a famous comedian actor who mm-hmm. knows more about sports and the history of sports than I do. And that's my job. 
<laughs> I know. I know. He was t- he he took you to school a little bit, but he did. But I, yeah. I accept. Yeah. Um. All right, Joe. Until next time. <laughs>